Welcome to Lush Ladies Podcast, where we sit. <laughs> Welcome to Lush Ladies Podcast, where we talk about historical women while sipping on some hard beverages. Sit back, drink up, and get ready to be educated, son. I'm Emmy. And I'm Kim. And together, we're the Lush Ladies. Woo! Kinda. No, we're not. We are. We're just the people that talk about them. Wow, my neighbors are moving out right now, so I'm kind of distracted looking at them out the window. They're probably like, what is she doing? Oh my god, they're throwing their couch in the dumpster. Should I take it? Yeah. It's a nice couch. (laughs) There's already three couches up by the dumpster. Why? Because everyone's graduated and moving out? Yeah, but the the trash people don't take couches. So, like, these couches have just been sitting out for, like, weeks. Take one. What a waste of couch. I might take this one that they just put out. Brennan does that. His basement, all of his basement furniture are just things that he's collected off people's lawns. I mean, yeah, I do the same thing. All right, okay, so today's episode is on female inventors. Snaps for the smart ladies. Before we get to that, Kim, what is your drink of choice tonight? I'm really basic tonight, and I have some barefoot shooters. I got a (laughs) pink Moscato and a Moscato, and then I have that other kind. What is it called? Sutter's Home. Yeah. You know, that has, like, really high arsenic levels in it. Oh. So you might die. I'm also drinking pink Moscato. Ooh. But mine is fancy and from France. It's this. I bought it mostly because the label was cool. That's cute. It's called Prophecy. That's Ville such a cute France. bottle. That's why I got it. It has like this lady on it. She looks like a witch. So female inventors. Kim, take it away with the overview. Okay, so an inventor is a person who invented a particular process or device. Being an inventor can also be an occupation, so someone who creates multiple inventions for their job. This is sometimes people in medicine, engineering, arts. It truly could be anyone, so never underestimate it. Someone like Thomas Edison created over a thousand patents, and patents are same. 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 We don't. I have a lot of good inventions. No, you're all about what's the other Tesla? Nikola Tesla. Mm -hmm. You still want to name your baby that? Yes. Knew it. Anywho, keep going. Oh, okay. Wait, sorry. Not to interrupt. I'm interrupting. You know how you were like, we say like too much. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I say way too much. What? Anywho, anywho, I was listening to the last episode and I think I said it at least like nine times. Yeah. So take a shot every time Emmy says anywho. I say oh too much oh. when people run into me. Do you? I think I might. It's a Midwestern I go, oh, thing. I'm just gonna squeeze right past you. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Edison holds the record for most patents. Patents are basically when you sort of. You certify your invention and hold the title to it so no one can steal it. And Einstein has 50 patents and Tesla has 300 patents. Wow. And I have zero. I know. He's good. (laughs) Any invention which is new, useful, and a non-obvious improvement of process can be patented. In the United States, Congress has not made any attempts to define the term invention, either under older laws or under the Patent Act. However, the courts, through a number of case laws, tried to aid what constitutes invention. This is discussed in the trial United Mattress Machinery Co. (laughs) v. Handy Button Machine Co. in 1953. (laughs) I bet that was such a fun trial. I bet the freaking jury, the jurors are like, damn it. I wanted this to be like a really interesting murder case or something. <laughs> they got like, they're getting sued with mattress companies. 
<laughs> I know. Out of all things patents are discussed over, it's it's furniture. Kim, furniture have you... Do you know anyone that's ever gotten called for jury duty? My dad has. I, I don't do you know, know like anyone has. like our age. Like, is this a thing mm. that people do anymore? Because I yeah. Okay, because like, why? Where's my letter? It just you don't sign up for it when you turn eighteen. You're you're just I know, eligible. but I have been eighteen for oh, a while you now. Want to maybe if it's interesting. I would like to think that I'd want a crazy case to be on on a jury for, but yeah, it's really fucked up. You can, can get, get out bad. of work for like months mm-hmm. if the case goes on for a long time. Honestly, you're like excused from work the entire length of the trial. I feel like that'd be cool. Like if you were on OJ's trial, something like that. Yeah, you'd be out of work for like six months, but I think you still have to be paid for it. Is this right, Aaron? I mean, I don't think anyone's ever gotten out of six months of work for jury duty. Whatever. <laughs> this lady that I work with got out of an entire week of work because she might be called. Um, jury duty for an intense case. I've always, I've always wanted to, but you also get harassed. Really? And people will like come find you. And I think that Casey Anthony's That's trial That's what I was just thinking about. Being, like, on the trial for Casey Anthony or, like, some, mm-hmm. like, Charles Manson. Men dominate patent applications in Britain, making up 93% of applicants. In an article quoted from thefashionlaw.com, and I'm not sure why it's this <laughs> website, but looking at 40 years of patent filing data, the USPTO which is the government agency that oversees the federal registration of trademarks and patents, revealed patents still compromise a small minority of inventors. The number of patents issued that name at least one woman inventor grew by 14% over the past 30 years, up from 7% in the 1980s to 21% in 2016. In the last decade, all female invented patents constituted only about four percent of issues or of issued patents four percent yeah women we gotta step it up yeah i had a really good idea the other day i always have good ideas what was my idea and what was my most latest invention he's got nothing (laughs) i believe you that's all i need there was something (laughs) Published and granted patents look very similar, but they aren't. Just because a patent application is published, it won't always be granted. So patent applications are published in order to make the public sphere aware of what is seeking patent protection. This means that if the patent isn't actually granted to the work, the public can learn from the work anyway. Basically, Published patent applications keep others in the industry up to date on what kind of new improvements and ideas are being worked on. This helps with innovation and moving forward through all industries. Nice. And then granted patents are protected under law. And if they have a if you have a granted patent, no other individual or company is legally allowed to benefit from the work in manufacturing using selling or proposing to sell or importing so i'm sure there's a lot of women that do have patents but they're just not granted dc found that not only do women remain underrepresented compared to men in terms of being granted patents but women of color particularly Black and Hispanic women are even less likely to obtain Typical. U.S. patent rights. This sucks. Boo. Yeah. yeah. Very. Very boo. Up. That's all I have for the overview. All right. Okay. We have some honorable mentions. First honorable <laughs> mention. Her name is Rachel Zimmerman. She is the inventor. Of the Bliss Symbol Printer. And what, why I wanted to shout her out 
is because she invented this when she was 12 years old. And that's dope because when I was 12, I was an idiot. So it's cool that she's like inventing shit. All right. So when she was 12, she created a software program for her school science fair. Typical. So she used this. She created a software program using bliss symbols, which are symbols that enable non-speaking people, such as those with severe physical disabilities that have trouble articulating words and stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. what they can do is point to various symbols on a page or a board through the use of this fancy touchpad. And then when the user touches the symbols, the printer translates the symbols into a written language. So she Mm. came up with this in the 80s at the age of 12 while we were, like, running around getting Cracker Jack Awards. (laughs) What were we doing? (laughs) Okay. So Rachel Patton's cool because she was smart when she was 12 when we were all dumb. Um, She now works for NASA. So... That's cool. Good job, Rachel. Next shout out, Mary Keese or Kais. Let me look. Mary. I don't know. There's no phonetic spelling. No. Yeah, it's K I E S. So I'm gonna say Kais. Mary Kais was the first woman to ever receive a U.S. patent, and this was because she made really dope hats. So she made these hats. Or this new technique of making hats where you weave straw with silk and thread. And they're really fancy church hats. And uh, President James Madison signed off on this patent. So shout out to you, Mary. Your hats are cool. Nice. Last but not least, we... I wanted to shout her out because this was funny to me. And it's like, it's an honorable mention, but I also feel like it's a dishonorable mention. Carice (laughs) Crosby... The first recipient of a patent for the modern bra. Oh. We hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Why is the modern bra worse? It's not worse. It's better because, like, before the modern bra was, like, corsets, and I would have hated that just as much. I I wanted to say this one honorable mention. I'm trying to Google it real fast. Um, My brother wanted me to say something about this woman. When I told him about how we were doing this podcast, he said, there was a woman that made a, the fire escape. Oh, yeah. You like, tell me about oh. this. Anna Connolly. Okay, cool. That's her name. And she created the fire Shout escape. Shout out to you, Anna Connolly. Shout Shouts. out to you, Tom. Shout out, Is he Tom. ever going to be a guest? Probably. He's pretty woke sometimes. I mean, he can Google stuff, so. Is Isaiah ever going to be a guest? Yeah, he's he's a talker. I think he would Last do great. Last time he just wouldn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So those all are right. honorable mentions. Kim, you can talk about your famous inventor lady. I'm going to be talking about Hedy Lamar. Before there was an Angelina Jolie, there was Marilyn Monroe, and before Marilyn Monroe. There was Hedy Lamar. Oh, shit. Hedy Lamar was born on November 9th, 1914, in Vienna, Austria, Hungary. Her birth name was Hedvig Eva Maria Kiesling. And she was an only child. Same. Her parents were Jewish. Her father, an investment baker. Banker. Nice, nice pronunciation. Her mom, a pianist. They lived in a middle-class district in the heart of Vienna's artistic quarter. Because Hetty was an only child to ambitious parents, she got a lot of attention. Her father was very inspirational and intelligent, and he would take her for walks and teach her about the inner workings of different machines, like the printing press or streetcars. I know how to work a printing press. Really? I don't. Do you know how to work a fax machine? No! I don't even think I've ever seen a fax machine in in real life. Okay, so the conversations she had with her dad guided Lamar's thinking, and at only five years of age, she could be found taking apart and reassembling her music box to understand how the machine operated. Meanwhile, Lamar's mother was a concert artist 
pianist and introduced her to the arts, placing her in both ballet and piano lessons from a young age. Her mother surprised her with a trip to the theater, and that was where she fell in love with cinema and showed interest in acting through theater and film. At the age of 12, she won a beauty contest in Vienna. And at age 16, she started getting discovered for her beauty in which got her foot in the door in Vienna's film industry. She is very pretty. Yeah, she's gorgeous. <laughs> but she's more than just I her know, looks. I know. Aren't we all? One critic said she was the most beautiful girl in the <laughs> world. She barely had to try because her looks, because of her looks, and it paved her way up. But she wanted to make it big, so she left Vienna and went to Berlin, the heart of Europe's film industry. <laughs> but this was Dun, dun, dun. The 1930s in Germany, and it was collapsing due to their economic crisis and being politically unstable. When Hetty arrived there in 1931, the Nazis were on the rise and Hitler was making his political gains. Even with this going on, the cinemas were always full and making tons of money. I'm sure we've all seen Inglorious Bastards. I just know that is Brad Pitt in the movie. And he goes, yeah, yeah. kill some Nazis. I know yeah. that part. I'm just scrolling through Google pictures of her now. Yeah. She's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, she's really pretty. Uh, they have, like, colorized pictures of her. She is really... Yeah. She lived until 2000. Yeah. That's an old lady. Hetty got roles in European films. At 18, she starred in 1932's Ecstasy. And people tend to forget about the plot because it was a very provocative movie at Ooh. the time. Due to the sex scene. Ooh, 1930s sex scenes. Let's YouTube it. <laughs> there was a scene. There was a scene where she runs across the screen nude <laughs> and a sex scene where she has an orgasm. Whoa. <laughs> and people were like, What? This is unheard of. Um, Nobody was making movies like this, so there was a lot of tension and conversation. Okay. okay. But this made her name. Then it was banned in Germany and America. Really? So it's not on YouTube? Yeah, but no, you can watch cool. it. Cool, will do. So she kind of been like this scandalous Yeah, she was the Marilyn Monroe. But she wasn't, she wasn't that big because European, like Germany... And their film was nothing compared to what Hollywood and America was. Um, the Heidi or Hetty Lamar's orgasm in Ecstasy was the first female orgasm in film history. Yes. Slay, mommy. Slay. I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> Should I link it on the website? Yeah, for those who are interested. Wait, send it to I'm me. I'm just. Watching selected sequences from the ecstasy movie, but I will send it to you. I'll put it in the Google Drive. <laughs> oh, okay. um, in the overview deck. At 19, Hetty fell in love and married her first husband, Fritz Mendel. So European. He was a hell. <laughs> I know. I have to say it like that. <laughs> Fritz Mendel. He was a wealthy man who saw her on screen and pursued her. She departed from acting for a while, and he would take her on lavish vacations across the world. They returned home, and Fritz continued to spoil her in riches. But deep down, Hetty began to resent him because he was a jealous man with abusive behavior. And he wouldn't let her return to acting and treated her like a trophy Lame. wife. Not only was he emotionally toxic in the relationship, but he was an arms weapon dealer who had a lot of political connections. What's this guy's name? Fritz? Fritz Mendel. Fritz. Frick you, yeah. Fritz. I'm sure you know where I'm going I know, but keep going anyways. Fascism was on the rise, and he would sell weapons to a lot of people, including Mussolini. Mm -hmm. And I also read an article that he sold later on to Hitler. What the fuck, Fritz? So, yeah, and she's Jewish. What the frick, Fritz? So was he a Nazi? He was no. just stupid? He was in favor of the uh, Nazis. You have well, to, like, if you're in favor of the Nazis, you're a fucking Nazi. hate to say it. You're either Nazi or you're not. That's what the that's what the skinheads wish they could I feel be, like they are neo-Nazis. I just feel like you had to be there and be a part of you it. You can still be a Nazi. 
to be classified. I mean, it's not some elite group. But just saying you're a Nazi, you're obviously a shitty person. Remember that kid in high school that said that he's a Nazi and he got, like, suspended for it or something? Me either. I, like, briefly remember, like, not briefly, but, like, barely, barely remember it. His name, he had the, I don't remember his name, but he was scary looking and he was mean to everybody. Was his name No, I feel like it was, like, Oh. Did you tell him that he's a The of Yeah, I made sure to tell him that. Fritz Mendel would invite all these powerful people to their house and have these big, fancy dinners. And Huddy would just have to sit there and look pretty, and she couldn't stand it. And she didn't realize that being part of the dinners would later help her in the future. In Germany, Hitler declared himself as chancellor. Mm -hmm. Then the Nuremberg laws hit. Mm -hmm. Jewish by birth, Hetty was upset and couldn't stand her husband's dealings with these people. So she disguised herself as a maid, grabbed a bag of jewels, and fled to London. Oh, shit! See ya. (laughs) She met film producer Louis B. What year is it at this point? Um, like 1936. And he was... On his way to New York because mm-hmm. he had fled the oppressa regi- oppressive regime in Russia. And he was a film producer, so he wanted to go to Hollywood. So in September of 1937, she followed him to New York and she was trying to get his attention. Like, they weren't friends. And he kind of, you know, turned away, but she... Like, changed her appearance. She changed her last name because she's Jewish. And you were judged if you came into America during that time. So she changed her last name from Kiesler to Lamar. And finally, he gave her her first acting role in Hollywood. She was 22 years old. In 1938, she appeared in her first Hollywood film. uh, It's called Adgiers. Adgiers. I don't know. Google it. Something like that. Google it. It's a romance film, <laughs> and every girl wanted to be her, and every guy wanted to marry her. But at home, she couldn't help but follow the war's news, and everyone in her European community became enemies of the state, and she couldn't turn away. Then the night of Crystal Nash ha- occurred, and Hetty was appalled and upset, so she kind of like, not, I, I guess she fell into a depression, and a bit and she was feeling very very vulnerable and lonely so she just like got married to who to a man named jean marquis and they adopted a son his name was james i think he might still be alive okay um and their relationship her relationship in that marriage was very short okay in 1940 they were divorced and she was 25 oh okay so then Something would unfold, making Hetty one of the most important inventors of all time. Dun, dun, dun. I'm, I swear by it. By 1940, Europe was in World War II. Poland had fallen. Germany was plowing through the countries. The war was global. There were battles in the Pacific. Everyone was running and screaming. <laughs> then Pearl Harbor happened, and FDR was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're we're calling for this. We're calling for war on Japan. <laughs> we're calling <laughs> I love this. FDR. We're calling this. I love no, 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 no. so much. <laughs> America had to finance themselves, and this is like the only moment <coughs> in history where Americans are actually the coolest people ever. <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, let's work hard." <laughs> and so everyone's working. War bonds are flowing, and the celebrities in Hollywood. They can sponsor these war bonds, put their names on it. So Hetty did it, and she sold $25 million in bonds. Mm. And she, like, toured around the country and spoke about the war. She was, like, Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. She was, like, Captain America. (laughs) Captain America before he goes into the war. But she would go to rallies, and then... She joined something called the Hollywood Canteen, which was a club for allied servicemen. Okay. And they, w- they would just cater to soldiers and serve them food, drinks, and she even gave them kisses. Kisses. <laughs> yeah, it says that speci- specifically, so 
I, we're assuming she didn't have sex with them. <laughs> and she was not fond about that, about the kissing. But she did it. <laughs> While this is all happening, you know, she's playing, she's paying close attention. I'm feeling my wine now. Can you tell? Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. I love it. So by the end of 1942, things in Europe were becoming desperate. The war on U-boats was thriving. People always forget about the U-boats. So Germany's U-boats, were they were fucking it up. They sunk thousands of merchant ships. A total of 75,000 lives were lost and 14 million tons of goods sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And Churchill even admitted that his biggest fear was a U-boat pearl. The Allies needed accurate torpedo methods with a perfect guidance system. And guess who created it? Who? Hetty! Whoa! But Hattie. it wouldn't be so simple. She teamed up with pianist George Entel, a very talented and a bad boy of music pianist. Ooh. He was, he was kind of controversial, I guess. So Wait, hey, have you seen Wonder Woman? Yes. The lady that played Wonder Woman is going to be Hetty in a movie about Hetty. <gasps> oh, my God. Her name is Gal awesome. Gatto. Gal Gadot. Yeah, that. There was this man who was named George Entel. He was this very crazy, out-of-the-box pianist, and she knew who she was because she was a pianist once, so she paid <laughs> attention to all that. And she wrote a piece Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. He wrote a piece called Ballet Mechanique, a ballet for mm. 16 synchronized automated pianos. And this is what caught her attention. This is important. Mm. Okay. So she wrote her name and number on his car and lipstick. Then, and he, it said, Ooh. give me a call. Yeah. Ooh. She's that bitch. She is. She's bold. <laughs> I respect Hetty had an idea for a secret radio-controlled torpedo guidance system when she was married to Fitzmandel. That's when, you know, she was having to sit with boring, powerful people and hear about the war and weapons. She was spying on them, basically, in conversation, and uh, she pieced a lot of information together. So she realized that any torpedo guidance system that communicated on one signal radio frequency could be easily detected by the enemy. But if the signal was spread mm. so that many random frequencies would be used one off the other, the enemy would find intercepting the signal almost impossible. It's really weird to explain. Mm. I have a two-minute video that explains it, but the signal, it, like, spits out into pieces, and there's just, like, pieces everywhere. But... <coughs> Like, the, for instance, Nazis, if they're trying to look on the radars, they just see, like, a second of it. And they'll be like, oh, where's it going? Aww. And they'll, like, see it in little seconds. Aww. So this is when George came into play. This could be coordinated in the same way that he coordinated his automated pianos. In Hetty and George's design, a piano paper roll would be placed in both the transmitter and torpedo receiver. Each paper roll would be perforated with the same complex random patent, a set of secret instructions for switching communication frequencies. Because the rolls were identical and started at exactly the same time, the transmitter or torpedo would communicate in perfect synchronization. If the enemy changed Ooh. upon one part of the signal, it was almost impossible for them to follow the signal to the next random frequency. Mm. Hetty and Entel's frequency hopping was almost impossible to jam. This invention would be named spread spectrum technology. Their final design used 88 frequencies, the same number as there are keys in a piano. Wow. Look at that. Music's winning the war. So they pitched this idea to Washington, D.C.'s patent office in 1940. The idea was leaked to the press, and the people were speculating and conversating about it. And then a patent 
for Hetty and George's invention was granted on the 11th of August, 1942. Yay! George then presented it to the American government, but they weren't taking them seriously at all due to their reputation as provocative artists. Yeah. Because, like, here's this rebellious pianist and this porn star. That's how they think of it back then. They called her a porn star? I mean, people considered what she was doing as porn, yeah. Hetty was like, whatever. She realized how people lessened her and didn't really respect her because of who she was in Hollywood. So she kind of had to move on with her life. That sucks. Yeah. It's like your brains have to be minimized by your beauty because that's fucked up. Like, you can be both. Sorry, my, like, iPad keeps falling over. I'm, like, trying to set it up on a bunch of random shit. So the... Ah! Ah! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you see yeah. that? No! What'd you spill it on? Oh! My leg! <laughs> my leg! In 1942, Hetty was in a film called White Cargo. And... So she was moving on with her life. And then she met her third husband, John. They kind of went into hiding and settled down for a while. She was positive because she knew how privileged she was. Like, she could safely live in America, but mm. she still felt bad. So in 1945, they had a daughter, and then in 1946, they had a son. But this relationship soon went downhill, and they divorced. <gasps> The marriage was so messy, they couldn't agree on why they divorced. Uh, (laughs) She gained custody of her three children. She was 32 years old. She's still young. I know. In 1947, she was casted for Samson and Delilah, and this would be known as her best performance. Why? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) 5.35, the Hollywood roles started to simmer down. She was aging, and people didn't want to cast her for these glamour. At 35? (laughs) I'm I'm saying what the people thought. Assholes. I don't really believe that. I know. But times were changing, and women like Marilyn Monroe were coming into style. Oh, they're the same lady, just because one has blonde hair and one has brown. Oh, Oh my God. Sorry, okay, I was worried I for your wife. <laughs> I'm worried for my well-being. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really going to okay. have to turn that down when I edit this. So she married husband number four. Oh, Ted Stoffer. Ed- Do we know him? <laughs> he was a man who made his name in jazz music. Ooh. In 1951, they married, but it didn't last long. Hetty was running out of money, put her kids into boarding school, and going to therapy. She was losing it, going through this midlife crisis and neglecting her kids. And then she abandoned her adoptive son. And, like, his school teacher raised him. Oh, it's like Matilda. Yeah, it is. It's kind of sad because she's, like, this hero and then she's fucking everything up. But she would later, like, repair the relationship, but... Not until 40 years later. Oh. So anyways, in 1952, she divorced Ted. Damn it. While all of this was going on, the United States Navy was using Hetty and George's technology during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm kind of drunk. Was she married to George? Or were they just like inventor pals? They were just friends. Got it. But I feel like something happened. They had to have like had a little spark. Because yeah. she's married to she four guys that pretty. don't work out. It's probably because George was really the one that she wanted. Yeah, I feel like in the end, if they do make movies about her, they're they're probably going to spin it that way. That yeah. they have this like, love it thing. It always goes that way. It's like any boy and girl that are like in close contact with each other in any capacity are automatically yeah. in love. So yeah, her, their inventions were being used. But I didn't read anywhere that said they knew about it. She went on to marry husband number five. Oh, my God. J. Howard Lee, oil baron and millionaire. Oh, my God. In 1953. Well, he's going to be a douchebag. By 1958, they were seeking divorce. Mm -hmm. 
And Hetty was wanting a large sum of money. Mm-hmm. And you get it, girl. Mm-hmm. She managed to hold for four more years being in her sixth marriage. Oh, my God. Which was her divorce her divorce lawyer, <gasps> Louis Boys Jr. Oh, my God! She ended up marrying <laughs> yeah. her divorce lawyer? Yeah. Oh, my God. But this... Listen, listen, listen. Wait for okay. it. This marriage lasted for a year. Oh. Ended in 1964. Oh, my God. <laughs> she sued for divorce claiming she suffered from extreme cruelty. Oh, my God. By age 50, she was alone. She went to court for shoplifting, and she got out of it. People kind of started forgetting about her. Her her health was poor. Her years of plastic surgery took negative tolls on her looks, Mm -hmm. and she resented Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And then by the mid-1980s, she was living alone, housebound, most of her neighbors had no clue who she was. But then came redemption. Yes, we love redemption. Mobile phones. Oh. Phone developers needed to find a way for phones to communicate wirelessly without interfering with each other. They chose a method called Code Division Multiple Access, CDMA, a modern development of Hetty and George's ideas 50 years earlier. Oh, and this was being adapted for Wi-Fi networks. So did she, like, come up with Wi-Fi? Yeah. What? The idea of Wi-Fi a was a thing, but they needed a way to do to, it. Like, and they used it? her formula. Yeah. Oh, my God. That kind of ties into my lady. Really? Kind of. We love a bloodline. <laughs> yeah. Hetty was recognized and became a celebrity all over again, gaining wealth. And in her hometown of Austria, her birthday is recognized as a holiday called Inventor's Day. Wow, that's nice. Mm-hmm. She really was. And she won a bunch of awards. Yeah. She died on the 19th of January 2000. Her and George Entel's technology changed the world's communications. Wait, what's allowing his us last name? Entel? How's it spelled? Entel? I I spelled it differently so I could pronounce it right. It's like starts with the A. Her and George Entel's technology changed the world's communications, allowing us a formula to create Wi-Fi, GPS, fax machines, and Bluetooth. Nice. The end. Yay! So, my lush lady is <clears throat> Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace. Have we heard of her? No. She invented computer programming. Or so we say. Okay. So Ada Lovelace was born Augusta Ada King. Actually, she was born Augusta Ada Byron. Kim, does that last name sound familiar? Yes. I'm pissed. Okay. Okay. Lord Byron. Yeah, so... (laughs) (laughs) So, fucking Augusta Ada Lovelace was the only legitimate child of Lord Byron and Lady Byron, a.k.a. Lady Anne. The one that killed herself? No. She was after that. No. No, 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 no. The one that killed herself was married to Percy Shelley. Not lady. I mean, anyways, Lord Byron was a douchebag. We all know that from the last episode. So Lord Byron gave birth to Augusta Anne with Lady Anne. Ada is his only legitimate child because all of his other children were out of wedlock with people like Claire Claremont, who was Mary Shelley's freaking stepsister. So she, so he also... Gave birth to Allegra. Remember that? And I was like, Allegra was the name of the fucking pill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, basically, <laughs> Ada, Ada Lovelace is half related to Mary Shelley in, like, some weird, twisted kind of way. Anywho, that's why I chose her. Because I was like, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? Okay, so she was born Augusta Ada Byron on... 
December 10th, 1815. She is known for being an English mathematician and writer. She was chiefly known for her work on the first computer in the 1800s. What? Okay. So basically she worked with this guy named Charles Babbage. And he came up with this thing called the analytical engine, which was the first mechanical general purpose computer. So she was the first to recognize that this computer had applications beyond just calculations, number crunching. And she published the very first algorithm that ever was used to run a computer. So algorithms... All right, quick, quick side note. I learned what the word algorithm meant because of Gordon. He probably doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but if he does, shout out to you, Gordon. In sixth grade, he beat in a um, freaking, what are those like little cube, Rubik's Cube competition? Yeah. And I was like, Gordon, how'd you do that? And he was like, it's all in the algorithm. And what? I was like, what's an algorithm? He's like, Google it. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I still remember that. I don't know why. I think it was because I thought the word was so fancy. That is the best story I've ever heard. It was on Halloween, and and he was dressed up as a banana. He okay. was a banana for Halloween. You know how people like will be friends with someone and use them? Yes. I'm not saying my brother was using Gordon, but he definitely <laughs> hung out with him one night, learned to solve a Rubik's Cube, and then never talked to him ever again. I remember that because I remember your brother bragging about solving a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> like, I remember him showing me and being like, I can solve a Rubik's Cube. And I was like, you know who else can solve a Rubik's Cube? Gordon. I was half mad about it, but then I was like, I get it. <laughs> I mean, that's a hard trick. I don't know I get it. that. <laughs> I mean, you have to be resourceful. Okay. So Ada Lovelace was really cool. She came up with the first algorithm. She is known to make the first um, computer program. Okay. So like I said, Lovelace was the only legitimate child of Lord Byron and his wife, Lady Anne. So apparently Lady Anne was like really friggin' smart and that's why, like, Lord Byron liked her so much. And he called her his princess of parallelograms. Aw. Aw, we love baby names. So then they had a baby, a.k.a. Ada. And Ada was cute and a little cute little baby. But Lady Anne was very religious and Lord ba- Byron was very douchey, as we know from last episode. Yeah. And so Anne was, like, consistently always trying to fix him make him better you know ladies you can never make him better yeah you just Once let him be mm-hmm. um Once they're in they're in they're in they're doing their thing so he left her about one month after the baby was born and ada never really met him that's sad i tried to tell you guys last episode that lord byron was a douche but now it's confirmed. we believe you all right so, All four of us believe you. So Lady Anne was like super scarred because now she is an only, she's a single mother with a baby and she's like, what the fuck just happened? And so she was always scared that Ada would end up like crazy like her dad did because from a very young age she could tell that Ada was extremely smart. So her solution was just putting Ava through like a lot of schooling like from the get-go like Ada was in school all right so she was always scared that Ada was going to become insane like her dad um but despite all this like her mom Lady Anne was like super just adamant against hating her dad like super vocal about it super just salty and but despite all this, Ada remained really interested in Byron and eventually was buried next to him, even uh. though they never met. He actually did write a poem about Ada. He said this It's thy face like thy mother's, my fair child. Ada, <laughs> sole daughter of my house and heart. 
Ew. That's what he said. That was his phone. Just like that. That's how we read it. Like, open mic night. Ada! <laughs> okay. Eventually, Ada got, like, pretty well-known. She known, like, famous people like Charles Dickens. They were partying together. She made those connects, and it made her famous eventually. But, backtracking... So, her mom put her in school at a very young age, got her the world's best tutors, um, including the local physician, and a woman named Mary Somerville. I wanted to make a quick side note about Mary Somerville, because she's dope too. Mm -hmm. Um, She was the first woman... To be inducted into the Royal Astronomical Society. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what that means, but I think that means that she's really smart. So Something to do with Queen Elizabeth. She's dope. That's all we need to know. She's very smart. Most dope. Okay, back to Ada. So, basically, what got her well-known as being, like, super smart lady was that this Charles Babbage guy that he that she met through her tutor, Mary Somerville... He basically, like, invented the computer, and he, like, put out this really fancy article about it, and it was in French, and, no, it was in some language, and then some guy, like, translated it, and he was Italian, and then she was tasked to translate it back to English, right? So she was, like, translating this article about the computer, and what made her so famous is that when she translated it, she added a bunch of her own notes. Mm-hmm. And, like, within her notes included the first algorithm and the first computer program. Eventually she died. But let's mm. start from the beginning. Oh. Because we all die. Oh. All right. Hold on. I need a drink. <clears throat> Ada's childhood. Okay. So, douchebag dad Lord Byron expected... His child to be a, in quotations, glorious boy. He was disappointed when Lady Byron gave birth to a girl. All right, here's the fucked up part. The child was named after Byron's half-sister, Augusta Lee, and who was called Ada by Byron. So Augusta's nickname, like, Byron called her Ada, right? All right, are you ready for this? I don't think you're fucking ready. Uh... Lord Byron had a baby with his half-sister, Augusta Lee. Ew! An incestuous baby. And then he named his other baby after his half-sister that he had another baby with. What? He had a baby with two half-sisters? He had a baby with his half-sister, Augusta, who he called Ada. And then he had a baby with his wife and then named that baby Ada after his oh, half-sister. Oh that was like his secret I lover. I feel really bad for them. And then also he had a baby with Mary Shelley's fucking ha- stepsister and named her Allegra. Like, what is up with this guy? I told you he was a douchebag with a stupid mustache. <laughs> people, I just don't understand how people back then had all this incestual stuff. I don't think that they, like, realized that it was fricked up. Like, I don't think that the science was developed enough to know that that's bad. Not even thinking about the science, though. Just think. Like, it's gross. you're my sister. Okay, to be fair, it was his half-sister. But, like, that's so gross. Yeah. Um. Another thing is, like, the science wasn't... A lot of the babies died. Like, I was... After the Mary Shelley episode, I was still looking into it. Mary Shelley and, like, Claire Claremont, they had, like, a shit ton of babies. And, like, a lot of them died because during that time they didn't know that they couldn't smoke or drink alcohol while they were pregnant. So, like, they were just partying while they were pregnant. Because, like, the science wasn't developed enough to know. I mean, people were smoking while they were pregnant until, like, the mid-70s. I mean, I get it. I get that. But, it's like, just... incest, and, like, another thing is, like, with royal families, there's a lot of incest because they want to keep that royal lineage. Yeah. So that's why they're also ugly. Okay. Basically, Lady Byron found out 
that um, Lord Byron was having an affair with his fucking sister and they got a divorce. And nobody really knew about this until Lady Byron died because at the end of her life, Lady Byron told Harriet Beecher Stowe, who is a really famous female author, uh, she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. So Lady Byron told Harriet about all of this incest and all of Lord Byron's douchery and and Harriet Beecher still like published a book about it basically. So hmm. nobody knew about this basically until he died or until she died. Okay, so they got a divorce and Ada just grew up and she was like a super cute freaking kid. Like she was super cute. I have to show. I had to share these pictures in the blog because she's so cute and little. And like, I guess I found out that her mom was also a douchebag because she was so super scared that Ada was gonna turn out like her dad. That she became mm-hmm. really strict and weird. So she trained um, Ada in self control. As a four-year-old and made her just lay in bed and be completely still for what? hours. And anytime she moved, she would, like, punish her. Uh, but, yeah, that's freaking weird. But I watched this video and they were like, it paid off because look how good Ada's portraits are. <laughs> when I painted her. <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> oh. Um... Lady Byron continued throughout her life to make allegations about Lord Byron and how stupid he is. And this kind of made Ada infamous in Victorian society because she was left with a single mom with a douchebag dad. And, you know, they were very um, typical there. So that was out of the norm. Yeah, that was out of the norm. So she didn't have a relationship with her father. He died eventually in like the Greek Revolutionary War, which is weird because he wasn't Greek, but I didn't really look into that. So her mother was her only significant parental figure in her life, um, but she had a really close relationship with her maternal grandmother Judith. Um actually I don't really know if it was that close. It might have just been like really weird. So, her maternal grandmother, Judith, was also known as Honorable Lady Milbank, who doted on her. I don't know what doted means, but I think it means, like, just helicopter parent. Be extremely and uncritically fond of. Anyways, everyone hated on Ada because of just that situation. It was unfamiliar. People were like, that's weird. Now people love and, her for that situation. Yeah. And Lady Byron, the mom, had like was like fake it till you make it. Like she mm-hmm. had to present herself as the perfect mom. So like to society, Ada was just like the weird child, mm-hmm. even though she was probably going through like types of abuse. But that wasn't that wasn't a thing then. Um, there are letters between. Ada's mom and her grandma, and they both referred to Ada as it instead of, like, a she or a her. I think it was because Ada reminded the mom too much of Lord Byron, just, like, her personality. People okay. are weird, you know? That's shitty. All right. Um, and she, like, the mom had, like, people spy on Ada to, like, make sure that she was being normal. In her adult years... Ada became close friends with her tutor, and then her tutor, Mary Somerville, the also really smart lady, introduced her to Charles Babbage, who was the father of the computer. This was in 1833. So that's like 100 plus years before Mm -hmm. the computer was like super powerful. But she like predicted what the computer could do, which is dope. So... She was, like, pretty big. Like, people wanted to marry her. She eventually, on July 8th, 1835, she married... She married... She married William Baron King VIII, therefore becoming Lady King. They had three children, one of which is named Byron. So it would be, like, Byron Byron. Freaking weirdos. 
And then Anne Isabella and Ralph Gordon. White people. Okay. <laughs> Eventually, like, so they found that Ada was a descendant of this weird Lovelace clan. And then they, like, named her and her husband Earl of Lovelace. So she became Ada Lovelace. So, like, it was actually, like, a royal title rather than, like, a last name. But I don't know how Britain works, so that's basically just what happened. So Ada Lovelace became royalty. Basically, she was just living her normal life. She also was an extreme gambler. And, like, she was super smart because her mom put her in school at such a young age when, like, other women, like, weren't going to school. So, like, to correct her father's immoral behavior, her mother thought it would be best to put her in school with mm-hmm. super strong science and math focus. And so she became a lot smarter than other females in her class, basically. So by the time she was an adult, she was, like, too smart for her own good. And she got really into gambling on horses and she, like, came up with this algorithm yeah. to, like, win gambling bets. But she eventually lost, like, a shit ton of money. And then, like, she eventually went into debt for it. Which is ironic because she was just so smart. But throughout her life, she was strongly interested in scientific developments and fads of that time. Including phrenology and mesmerism. Phrenology is a pseudoscience which involves the measurements of bumps on the skull to predict mental traits. Mm. Don't, like, that's weird. You know, say 1800s, I thought that that was, like, a thing. Is that still a thing? No, absolutely not. And then, like, (sighs) mesmerism is also known as animal magnetism. And it basically means that this invisible force possessed by all living things, including humans, animals, and vegetables, um, have physical effects. So, like, some weird invisible force that, like, vegetables have and makes no (laughs) sense. Anyway, (laughs) she was really into that. Now I feel bad. (laughs) Feel bad for all the vegetables I've ever drunk. Fucking VeggieTales. (laughs) VeggieTales. That's what VeggieTales was inspired from. (laughs) Basically, animal magnetism. Okay. <laughs> okay, so in 1833, when Ada met Charles Babbage, the computer man, um, she was, like, super mesmerized. And it's like, what's, what's this thing? And he called it the difference engine. So she became, like, super fascinated with that and used her relationship with her tutor, Mary Somerville, to visit Babbage, like, all the time. And Babbage was, like, super impressed by how smart Ada was and how analytical she was. He called her the Enchantress of Number. Hmm. He was, like, super old compared to her, so I don't think it was romantic, but, you know. It was still Guilty until proven innocent. So, Charles Babbage basically invented this difference engine and then the later on this thing called the analytical engine and then he wrote this article on the analytical analytical engine and mary not mary ada wrote a bunch of notes translating it and explained how the analytical first how the analytical engine differed from the difference engine she was like listen up you imbeciles these are two different two different machines and then she wrote like a bunch of notes about how algorithms can be used for the analytical engine to compute Bernoulli numbers, which I have no idea what those are, but apparently they're computer program numbers. Hmm. I was an English major, so. Um, It is considered to be the first published algorithm ever, and it was specifically tailored for implementation on a computer. And now she is cited as being the first computer programmer. However, this program was never tested. They basically just looked at it and they were like, yeah, that's reasonable. So they don't actually know if it works, but she did it first. So that counts for something. Right. Um, But in 1953, more than a century after her death, Ada Lovelace's notes on 
the analytical engine were republished in a book. And now the engine is recognized as an early model for computer. And her notes offer as a description of the computer and how it works. So her method is recognized as the first computer program. So that's, that's cool. That's crazy. That's awesome. So they used her program and Charles Babbage's like early invention to make the computer. After her work with Babbage, she continued to work on other projects. In 1844, she like did this whole project on the use of math and music. She called it, or she talked about how she created a mathematical model for how the brain gives rise to thoughts and nerves to feelings. She called it a calculus of the nervous system. Which is weird. Um, she said that... What? I don't know what any of that means, but she said that she was inspired by her mother about because her mom thought that she was bad. So she wanted to prove that she wasn't. Then she died. She died at the age of 36, the same age as which Lord Byron died. That's young. She died of uterine cancer, and they think that it was probably brought on like she could have survived except it was the 1800s and no one knew great medicine then so Mm -hmm. they did this thing called bloodletting which means basically they just took a bunch of her blood to say that like the disease was in her blood so they drained her of all her blood then she died do they still have her blood i don't know (laughs) <laughs> what they end up doing with it? <laughs> I don't know. They ate it. <laughs> like, vampires. They're vampires. But That's then, disgusting. So they stole all her blood because they thought it would cure her of cancer. And then she was buried but next to... But she needs to, blood to live. They didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Then she was buried next to her douchebag dad, Lord Byron. The end. So, yes. Long story short, Ada Lovelace is known to be the first computer software engineer of ever and an enchantress of numbers i didn't know about either of these women i did know about Ada lovelace but like not a lot i must say that there is some skepticism around ada because everyone's like no babbage like did all the work and she just Mm -hmm. like commented on it but same with my lady I still think it's important to note that she defied social norms and, like, was super smart despite being, despite her status, just like Hetty. Like, she was known for being, like, the rich socialite, but she was super smart, and mm-hmm. people wanted to discredit her because of her beauty and her status. But she was like, right. nah, I can invent shit. And people didn't really care until later, which yeah. is the sad part. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's how, how it, it always works. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to female inventors. You're inventing shit. I also invent stuff, so like, I'm cool we too. We invented this. We did invent the Lush Ladies podcast. Should we make a podcast about ourselves? Like an episode? We- <laughs> <laughs> Are we that interesting? I don't know. I think you're interesting. I can, I can report on you and you could report on me. You're interesting. You're just saying it. Like I said, I couldn't have done this with anyone else. Aww. You're very ambitious, and you, like, will just do things. And it's I'm like, because Holy I shit, don't shit. use my brain. You do, though, because you do things, and you su- successfully do it. When you put your mind to something, you do it. Like, you just freaking hiked through California. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's so random. How did you do that? And... How did I not know? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening to Lush Ladies Podcast. Uh, If you have any episode suggestions, please email us. We say this every freaking episode. Nobody emails us. Yeah. We're getting mad. Just kidding. (laughs) Give us some suggestions. Talk to us. Um, Be sure to check out our website, LushLadiesPod.com. Yes. Our Instagram Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, it's all Lush Ladies Pod. Just check us out, like us. 
look at us or listen to us and review us on Apple Podcasts because apparently that's how we get found. Uh-huh. Yeah. And rate and review us. Yeah, rate and review us. That's all we want out of our lives. Tell your friends. Tell your historians. Chloe, we're talking to you because apparently hey. you're our only listener. Signing off. Thanks for listening to this episode on Female Inventors. We love you. We appreciate you. Bye. Bye.